Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney back with you. Hello, Justin. Greetings, Caleb. How are you? Doing well. Um, off week for IndyCar, but some interesting announcements that have come down the pipe and a theory that we kind of teased, what, a couple of episodes ago that I think we're going to dive into this week as well. We have some silly season news and rumors to get to. We also have our preview of the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 at the track formerly known as Gateway in St. Louis. That we'll, we'll still call Gateway until yes. the day we die. Well, technically what? Madison, Illinois yeah. is the technical address of the track, but just across the Mississippi River from downtown St. Louis. That's coming up Saturday night as we record here Thursday evening. Plus, we teased it a few weeks ago. I think it's time we get to it. A theory on TV ratings and how it sets the tone and what sets the tone for the rest of the IndyCar season. We'll start, though. Silly season announcements. First off, Christian Lungard. Not that he was going anywhere, at least based on his contract. However, he signed a restructured deal, and he will stay with Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing for next year and beyond a multi-year deal. This is a restructured agreement. Again, I think this is great news for all parties involved. I think it's great. I think when we look at Christian Lungard comparatively to the rest of this RLL group, he's right up there, right? So he's what right now 15th in points, but has really come on strong, you know, lately in terms of putting up results. You know, what could you expect from a rookie? I think he's delivered six top tens in 14 races. That's only one less than Graham Rahal has through 14 races. So considering he's a rookie going, coming to some of these tracks for the first time and being able to perform good on him. Yeah, like you mentioned, didn't think he would be on the move, but this sets him up, in my opinion, to be potentially the top driver at Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan as soon as next year in terms of results. And a podium amongst those top 10 finishes this year, plus what, two Firestone Fast 6 starts, one at the Indy GP, and then one in nashville right was yes. it was it the indy gp that he did it again or I, was it the second race the second running either way he had it a, is a an indy road course would have been an indy road course yes, yes where he got second so this is a guy who i think we expect could be a contender for a race win next season i would absolutely put him in there and if you had made me pick the driver heading into 2023 with real Hill letterman lanigan that i felt had the best chance of winning a race I would go Christian Lungard at this point. You look at just overall, I, I think let's just get to this real quick, of drivers who've not won an IndyCar race and who we think will win first. Now, going into this season, we assume that Scott McLaughlin would get a win. We didn't expect it to be the first race at St. Pete, and he now has two on the season, also picking up a win at Mid-Ohio, 4th of July weekend. But Lungard, obviously on the short list, Malukas, Grosjean. Grosjean and Jimmy Johnson are probably the four names. Obviously, Johnson would be limited to an oval track, but those are the four names. You maybe throw in Callum Eilat as well, a little, little bit tougher unless they can get a second car uh, with that Hunko's Hollinger program just to have more data and a teammate to bounce ideas off of. But I'd say it's those four, maybe five if you add an Eilat. You throw in Kirkwood to that list. I know well, I was about to season. say that because I mean, let's you, all the four, all the guys that you mentioned are returning next year. If we're 
throwing this forward into 2023, which of those drivers that we're talking about do you feel, if you were a betting man, would you put money on to get their first win first? Well, obviously, I'd say as far as equipment goes, it's a tie between Johnson and Lungard and Kirkwood. Kirkwood. Yeah, but in probably a slight edge to Johnson, just as far as not having to worry about maybe a, a random mechanical failure, that kind of thing. I would go with Lungard, though. I would almost lean that way as well at this point. Uh, actually, actually, no, I'm changing my answer. I'm going to go with Grosjean. Lungard would be number two. Okay, I'll stick with I'll stick with Lungard. So Lungard returns again. This is not a a big surprise, but I think it's. A notable announcement that they had it done well before the end of the season. Again, a restructuring here. He's already set to come back. And also, I noticed he said this, I think, over the Nashville weekend. No ties to to Alpine anymore. Not that that is surprising, but that is where he's at with his program. And he even kind of called out Sebastian Vettel, saying that uh, Vettel could expect a tough transition to IndyCar, according to David Malsher Lopez of Motorsport.com. Do we know of any interest that Sebastian Vettel has whatsoever in running IndyCar? I've not seen any. I mean, he mentioned Road America, and I think that's what sparked all of this conversation and debate. But just Vettel mentioning Road America is a a great track that's in America. And then it just took off from there. Graham offered a test, and and Bobby But he hasn't tweeted any innuendo or insinuating anything. So in my opinion... The four-time champion is going to, at least next year, enjoy his retirement. Maybe he gets that itch in a year or two. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he does like an endurance race or two. Uh, yeah, I could see him doing an endurance race, sure. Now, do they, I, endure, do they do Road America? I don't even know. They do for IMSA, but I'm talking like WEC, right. like WEC. Yeah. Spa, maybe he would get into sports Lamar. cars at least to do that. I'm not sure. But I would, at this point right now... Be surprised if Sebastian Vettel ever drives an Indy car in a race. I could see him doing maybe a test or whatever. I just, I don't see it in Vettel's future doing a race. Yeah, I, I would be very surprised if he runs an Indy car race anytime soon. The other silly season announcement that we got, this from Nathan Brown of the Indy Star, Elio Castroneves will return to Meyer Shank Racing in the 06 Honda full-time in 2023. Again, not something that is a huge surprise. It seems like this was in the works for a while. And a good write-up by Nathan Brown talking about how Elio is back full-time for the first time this season since 2017, learning some of these tracks, obviously adjusting to the aero screen. But overall with that team, I mean, you would expect better results. Obviously, Elio does. and. This is a team we thought going into the season, Simon Pagano especially, maybe Elio on an oval, but Pagano on any type of track could win a race. I think you look at where they're at, Castro Nevis in 18th, uh, Simon Pagano in the standings 12th, and he's he's been higher up than that, but you'd have to say it's a bit disappointing. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, I know people are going to say that, you know, he's... But, you know, getting reacclimated to everything in terms of IndyCar and all that. You know, you could say his last full season, he finished, what, fourth in the standings in 2017. So maybe I'm counting him out a little bit 
too much because I just feel like he he wasn't a real title contender his last year at Penske, but maybe that's just how I remember things. But he was fourth. Yeah, as I said, I just looked it up. I was shocked. But I just, you know, at 47, 48 years old, I just don't think he's at a place to be competitive week in and week out. But you know what? I'd still sign him up for the Indianapolis 500. And that's, if I'm Michael Shank, what I'm thinking about, right, is winning another Indianapolis 500. And if that means having Elio Castroneves in the stable all year to make sure you have him in May, then that's, uh, you know, that's what I'm doing. That's a trade-off that's worth yeah. taking. And, and Elio basically said as much that, look, you need to run the full season to be prepared for Indy just to have that consistency. And uh, he also mentioned being with a new team, pointing out the, the struggles of Takuma Sato, for example, Jack Harvey, um, Felix Rosenquist took a bit. I mean, look, Felix has excelled this season, but he really struggled last season. Right. And that's not even taking into account that horrific crash he had at Detroit and set him back a bit. I mean, he, it was a struggle before that. You know, so yeah, I, you know, I'm interested. I think it's a prime opportunity at Meyer Shank with two veteran drivers that can teach a young driver a lot of things to not dabble into that third car, to hire somebody that could be the heir apparent to one of those guys as a full-time driver. And it could be a partial seed. It could be certain, you know, events or whatever. It could be a full-time seat, but I think you have two great ambassadors of the sport and mentors that really aren't passing along their, their guidance to anybody with Meyer Shank. And I feel with the results that we've seen from this team this year, I'm not sure if either can compete for championships anymore. And at least going by this year, they can't even compete for wins anymore. Yeah, it's, it's look, let's just be blunt. No team has won an IndyCar title besides Pinsky or Ganassi until you go all the way back to 2012 with Ryan Hunter. Right. I mean, that's how long it's been. Yeah. Right. And, you know, in the competitive world of that is IndyCar and, you know, it is a cliche that it is, you know, the most competitive or it gets more competitive every year. You know, the years in which you are not competitive, then that's a lost opportunity. Right. And, you know, I, I think, you know, hopefully we'll get to catch up with Mike Shank at some point in the offseason. I just have to feel that this season was a step back for that team. And that's not putting it all on the drivers. I think across the board, Meyer Shank Racing is going to have some real introspective meetings after the season to really look at what went wrong because this team took a considerable step back this year. They at least had a solid Indy 500. Now, they didn't qualify that well, but they both finished in the top 10. And with how these cars, with the addition of the aero screens, have been to drive a lot harder to pass, I mean, that is the thing that they can hang their hat on this season. I would agree. And then you wonder where would they be in the points without those results? Yeah. Well, with the double points. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. That's it, what I'm saying, right? Makes it tough. Because right now you have Pagano in 12th and Elio in 18th. And both of them had decent finishes at the 500. And, and going back to the, you know, Penske, Ganassi, top five of the standings, Will Power, Penske, Scott Dixon, Ganassi, Marcus Erickson, Ganassi, Joseph Newgarden, Penske, Alex Blow. Ganassi. Uh, Ganassi. Scott McLaughlin in, in six. Penske. He's probably a little too far back out of it. Still with a chance if he picks up a win this weekend. But yeah, Penske. Fact so, of, yeah, fact of the matter <laughs> is, you can you can have your most competitive series in the world talk, but in the end, it comes down to Penske and Ganassi for championships. 
yes, we we've had what we had eight different poll winners to start the season before we had a repeat at uh, I guess it would have been nine different until we got to Toronto and Colton Herta won the poll. However, you look at who's winning these races, and Andretti has two wins. Aaron McLaren SP has two wins. Everything else is Penske and Ganassi. You know, those teams have had drivers in competition for the championship, right? So Colton Hurd up, Hotel yeah. Award. Man, until you win one, I'm of the opinion that you have to race for Penske and Ganassi to win a championship. I think yeah, you, you can win a race being You can outside. win a race, right? You can win even a couple races, right? But to win a championship, no. Nah, you got to race for one of those two teams. So I, I think... The the margin is narrowing, at least with McLaren, I would say, in those top two. Absolutely. They're, you can easily put them in the big three over Andretti. But in terms of championship race, championship caliber teams, there are two of them in IndyCar. And you, you would think we would have learned this lesson because we both picked Pato Award to win the championship this year, didn't we? <laughs> both idiots, right? But I think we felt, fair enough, we came into the season... Um, looking at McLaren as maybe taking a bigger step than what they have. I mean, you know, two wins is big. Winning the Indianapolis 500, huge, obviously. And a major improvement by Rosenquist as yeah, well. definitely. But Mechanical issues that have not necessarily been sorted out right. on a week-to-week basis. And Yeah. Well, they didn't win the Indianapolis 500. That was Erickson. My, my bad. But, you know, yeah, I, I think we looked at Pato, and maybe we were buying into the sailing off into the sunset, winning a championship, and then going to Formula One type thing. But obviously, that path has changed considerably since the start of the IndyCar season. Well, at least we think. Who knows who's getting that? Who knows what's going on? McLaren seat. (laughs) So you you have Elio Castroneves confirmed. You have an extension for Christian Lungard. Neither of which I think were unexpected. So we still have the same questions in silly season than than we did a week ago, in my opinion. Yes, and to throw in a wrench, so we've talked about the the news of Silly Season. Do we have some rumors? Yeah, now we get into the rumors. And uh, this is not anything new from IndyCar Deep Throat, but uh, a source telling IndyCar Deep Throat, sounds like AJ Foyt Racing is up for sale. Uh, Only three people entities that AJ would be willing to sell to, that according to that source. One is Tony Stewart. I asked that. Got a no idea. That's what our Deep Throat was told, but I would assume that would be one of them. As much as I think, look, I'll say a point. I don't think Larry Foyt has been the guy to change that team's fortunes. I like Larry. I think he's got, you know, best intentions, but the team continues to be a bottom dweller in IndyCar. And eventually that just, you know, tires everyone out. I think AJ at some point wants to see his race team in better hands, more capable hands. And maybe that's, that's not necessarily taking anything away from Larry Foyt or, or anybody at AJ Foyt. It's more maybe selling to a person or persons that have more capital to invest in the sport. And I think that would be great for all involved. Taking a look at, at other uh, rumors and, and potential, another name to keep in mind, uh, Nicholas Latifi. Seen everything as far as Dale Coin Racing as a landing spot. Um, so, we do, oh, do we think he's going to IndyCar next year? 
That's I mean, he's not going to be in Formula One. That's what IndyCar Deep Throat's saying. Uh, a team manager source. Uh, also, an F1 driver that has no seat for 23 will be recruited by Chip. Let's bring guys over from Europe with money and Formula One, two, three experience. Could it be Latifi? Maybe. I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. But that's not a guarantee. I just, uh, I don't know. Money is, I don't, I, Chip Ganassi is not a guy to hire somebody just because they have money. They'll, it's good to have money and talent. Yeah. Now, does Nicholas Latifi have money and talent or just money? I mean, he hired Max Chilton. <laughs> that's true. Ouch. He said it, not me, folks. I didn't say they didn't have talent. I just said he had a lot of money. <laughs> so, yeah, the precedent, I guess, has been set in terms of uh, catering to the money, not necessarily the talent. So maybe that is a thing. I don't know. Nicholas Latifi in the 10? Would you buy that? I'd be surprised. Likewise. I would think if you're looking at F2 drivers, because, I mean, Latifi could end up in IndyCar somewhere. That is not far-fetched at all. But I would say that, like, who's it? Uh, Felipe Drugovic. Yes. I think is how you say his name. Yeah, Drugovic. Drugovic. Then there's one other driver in F2 that I know. Logan Sargent? Well, Probably not. no, He's going no, he, he, he <laughs> might get the Williams seat. Yeah. And I don't think he'd come to any car if he didn't get that seat, because I think he's still in line for a seat, whether it's for next year or the year after. And then right. there's one other driver. Well, looking at it, Dragovic leads the points right now in F2. You have Theo Porcher from mm-hmm. France, then Logan Sargent, then Enzo, Enzo yeah. Fittipaldi yeah. in fourth. Um, and then you have to drop a little bit. So it's Yehan Daruvala, Frederick Vesti, uh, Liam Lawson, Jack Duhan. It's Marcus Yuri Armstrong. That's, that's who I'm thinking. Oh, that of. was the next one I was going to say was Lewis yeah. Ar- Marcus Armstrong, not Louis Armstrong. He's he's one that's been All the way down in 11th and F2. To, to look at IndyCar. He's from New Zealand, so another Kiwi for IndyCar and a driver. Who would bring a budget? And that's how that works because your budget goes a lot further here in the U.S. than it would in trying to get another F2 ride or even an F1 seat. And being 11th in points in F2, you're not even getting anything anywhere close to an F1 car ever, at least the cockpit. Unless you're bringing like $30 million a year. I don't even know if you're doing that. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see you know, who is targeted from F2 to come over here. I would think at least one of those drivers is coming over, maybe even two. Yeah, I I would agree. And so those are other names to keep our eyes on, but uh you go back to Foyt and look, having the two separate shops to me that's always been the thing that's holding them back and until that changes, I think it'll be status quo. I feel like before AJ is gone, he wants his race team, his legacy with his name on it, obviously to be in good competitive hands. And it's not right now, unfortunately. So Tony Stewart, you're up. Yeah. We, we've all been hoping. In fact, he had Tony Stewart had that big announcement a couple weeks ago. The NFT thing. NFT. Biggest stinker Uh, ever. Man. I mean, first off, like everybody was kind of thinking he was going to buy Void or, you know, but the fact that there was no IndyCar equivalent announcement in terms of 
if he was buying into Foyt, they would have, you know, the Foyt team would have called a press conference or IndyCar or something. Should have been indicative that it wasn't going to be anything groundbreaking for IndyCar. Turns out it wasn't groundbreaking whatsoever for anything. I don't even understand what an NFT is. And this boon that NFT was going to have or supposed to have is not coming to fruition. Think of it as like your tops trading card. Yeah. You know, baseball, but digital. Digital. Yeah. It's that simple. It, I don't think it's really catching Why up. invest in... Di- yeah, I don't know. I don't get that's, it. That's beside the point. So that's a look at silly season stuff. And obviously, I think things will ramp up uh, a bit more and more this weekend. I'm sure more rumors will come out just because it's a race weekend. It goes kind of quiet usually. And then there's a race right. weekend and then stuff trickles out. So we'll, we'll see what becomes of it. The question marks, I think we have obviously the third McLaren seats because we know Rossi and award will be in two of them. We're not sure about the other right. seat. TBA devil and D Francesco. If he returns to Andretti, Who's with Foyt? You know, is it Benjamin Peterson, uh, driver in lights? I mean, how uh, many cars does Foyt have? Yeah, do they have one? Do they point. have two? Do they have three? I think three would be far-fetched. Two, a possibility. Man, I'm going one at this point. So those are some of the question marks still remaining for Silly Season 2023. All right, we teased it. It's time to get to it. TV ratings and IndyCar. And you had an interesting theory that you shared with me. And uh-huh. we, we've saved it for this time. Yeah, better deliver now, right? The conversation point. So we were talking about TV ratings, why races get this, not this, you know, what sets the tone for the season. And my theory is with the Indianapolis 500, and I think it all revolves around Indy, is if the Indianapolis 500 is, is exciting, it's entertaining, if it's dramatic then it fuels viewership for the rest of the season. You can sell, hey, we have a race coming up next week at Detroit, much easier if if you have a radically exciting Indianapolis 500 than just a run-of-the-mill Indianapolis 500. True fans like us, we're always entertaining the 500, right? But not the casual fan. So my theory is, you have to knock it out of the park with the Indianapolis 500 in all aspects. You have to have go 10 out of 10 in terms of racing and drama and all that stuff. And that will help you then down the rest of the road in the ratings for the rest of the season in terms of eyes on product. But when you have an average race this year, last year, I think it sets the tone negatively. I don't think you're going to have people that casually turn into the Indianapolis 500 say, yeah, I'm going to keep tuning in, tuning into the IndyCar series for the rest of the season. I know a lot of casual fans, IndyCar fans, that only turn on it for the Indianapolis 500. They're only there to watch it. They're Elio Castroneves fans because they're and Tony Kanaan fans because that's all they know, right? And anything less than a 10 out of 10 Indianapolis 500, then the series is going to be an afterthought the rest of the season for them. So that's my theory. Now poke holes in it, Mister Hatch. All right, so obviously the 500 TV rating was down. That's that's a given. So you went from 5.581 million viewers 2021, and it helps that Elio Castroneves, a truly known name, yes, not just in motorsports but sports fans and in general, because of his Dancing with the Stars and win, which four was 500 wins helps 15 years ago, which is crazy. Yeah, the but, before or after tax evasion. 
This that would have been before. Okay. Because that was 2009. He came back in okay. time for his third win. Gotcha. So 5.581 million viewers 2021. All right. 2022, 4.8 million. And that's the whole total audience delivery thing. So down significantly. Essentially, you, you look at the numbers. Obviously, 2020, we give them a pass because I mean, I mean everything was down. Yeah. It wasn't even the typical weekend. Like it's not right. an accurate way to look at it. So down essentially 18% from 2021 pretty significant especially when you're expecting a bigger number however you look at it you have the second highest attended 500 since the split obviously 2016 the highest so you had a lot more people there in person you have a limited crowd in 2021 what was it 135,000 wink wink nod nod yeah clearly a lot more than 135k and you had uh, good qualifying numbers as well leading up to the race. So those all things are interesting. And you even look at the, the local rating, um, 21.3, that was in 2021. Then you have a 10.89, uh, that was for 2019. The local rating, uh, you're not going to get as good of a number when you have more people able to attend. Look, part of the reason why last year, yes, you had a popular winner and in a, in a four-time winner, you're seeing history, but you also had a limited audience, so you have a lot more people there in person this year. And obviously, the local TV rating was down significantly here in 2022. And it was on delay or was live? Yes, it was on delay. Yeah. So well, it's 2020 when it was live. That's part of me. Part of my solution is you lift the blackout. It's 2022. I don't think there's an appreciable number of fans that would decide to not go to the race instead of watching it. In my opinion, I feel like the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the IndyCar series, is helped more by m- people being able to watch in Indianapolis live. And for the record, the TV rating for Indianapolis, 5.7. I understand it's a tradition. You go to the race, then you watch it. I understand that. But it's also 2022. We're talking about streaming and you know all this stuff, and you still cannot watch. It's antiquated. It, it reminds me of the fallacy that was the Chicago Blackhawks back in the day when they were owned by, well, they're still owned by the Wirtz family. But the patriarch work words would not allow home games on television in Chicago. You can only watch the road games in Chicago because his theory was nobody's going to the games if you can just watch them. His son takes over. They start broadcasting home games. There's more interest in Blackhawks hockey. It also helped that they were actually winning too and they were winning product. And they had like four or five straight years of sellouts at home. And a big part of that was because people could watch at home. So how many casual fans that otherwise aren't turning into this race or, or whatever that could tune in in Indianapolis would help the overall product. Absolutely would help the bottom line in terms of TV rating, because you look at the TV ratings for every other race in the IndyCar series and Indianapolis is, you know, one of the, biggest metro areas in terms of the rating 
So I think that would help tremendously. It, but it all comes down to the Indianapolis 500 and viewership is it really sets the tone for the rest of the season in terms of viewership. And if you have a stinker in May or even an average race, it's going to be reflected in TV ratings, in my opinion, the rest of the year. Yeah. And what's weird is like some of the examples, yes, it's played out as such and others it is not. I mean, it's, it's really hard to judge. So for example, you look at road America and the, the rating for IndyCar at road America 0.69, 1.087 million household viewers. So the total audience 1.110. When you look at Peacock, that matched the all-time record for the event from 2019. So clearly up. Then you look at Mid-Ohio, significantly down 2021 to 2022. So 2022, you had a, a 0.57, 877,000 of viewers. That does not include Peacock, but that's down from a 0.87, 1.298 million. Again, both on NBC. We're only comparing NBC to NBC here. Correct. To be clear. Yes. And... That race, though, in 2021 led into NASCAR's cup, uh, cup race at Road America. So th- normally we looked at in the past, well, IndyCar got great numbers, whether it was cable or NBC on the very rare occasion, but usually it was back on NBCSN, where NASCAR was a lead-in for IndyCar. Obviously, IndyCar got much better ratings. Now, we can't compare Nashville because, yes, they were... They they had a portion on NBC, not getting rating for that, and then it was on cable, but it's on CNBC, and then last year it was on NBCSN. So we don't really have a fair comparison. We're only talking races after the Indy 500. We can't do Detroit because it was on USA and it was only one race. Sure. So I don't. I don't. It's a limited samples. Yeah, I, I don't buy into the oh, you need an oval the week after, or you need it. You need to make sure you have a race the week after. I don't buy into those theories. My theory is. If you knock people's socks off tuning into the Indianapolis 500, they're more likely to tune in to other races that season. And if you don't knock their socks off with the Indianapolis 500, they're less inclined to tune in the rest of the season. Pure and simple. Because there's a lot of people, a lot of people, that the only race they watch all season long, all year long, and this includes Formula One and NASCAR, whatever, is the Indianapolis 500. If you don't deliver, then with those people, you're one and done for the year. That's my theory. Yeah. And taking a look at the only other race would be what the Gallagher Grand Prix. That's the only other one that we have not dove into on on the, the rating and which I feel was like a Saturday at noon. Right. And thought it got a decent rating. Yeah. So ratings were up across Brickyard rating. So for IndyCar with Rossi's win, well, again, not a fair comparison because I, I, I forget this every time. 2021, the IndyCar race that weekend was on NBCSN. So IndyCar uh, got yeah. over a million total audience delivery on NBC last year on NBCSN, 522,000. But it's so weird that that race was not on <laughs> NBC last year. So we've looked at the races since the Indy 500 that are a year-to-year comparison. So. Road America in mid-Ohio. That's it, because they didn't race at Iowa last year. They didn't have Toronto, obviously, as well. So, yes, these are small sample sizes, and we couldn't do Nashville because it was on cable last year and was all over the place this year. But when we get to Portland, 
and Laguna Seca will have another data point for each race, yes. right? So we'll have another way to look at this again and say, okay, the ratings are down yet again, or the ratings are up. But overall, like you said, if the Indy 500 is a good race, you can get some of those casual fans, which I hate the phrase because I just, it doesn't really exist when you're talking motorsports, right? Yeah. You I mean, get people who tune, tune into the Daytona 500 and the Indy 500 and that's, that's it. it. Yeah, that's it. And sometimes just the Indianapolis 500. I know people. That's the only race they watch all season long. Indianapolis 500. And it's always so tough to compare IndyCar from year to year because you're either, you know, X amount of races on NBC. And then this year you have more races. And, you know, for the longest time, ABC had some races and the rest of them were on NBCSN. There's, there's been lack of continuity, right, from year to year to year. You know, uh, in terms of, of NASCAR, first half of the year, majority of races are going to be on Fox and some of the races are going to be at FS1. Halfway through, around July, it goes to NBC, right? You know, it used to be TNT for a couple of races. Now that's gone. So it goes first half, Fox, second half, NBC, basically, is what it is. But every year is different for IndyCar. So it's very difficult to get, you know, a good read on on the on the TV ratings and how they're going up and down and what's affecting that. But in my opinion, the Indianapolis 500 is it. And then that opens up another conversation on, does the series need to do more to put on the best possible show at the Indianapolis 500? I think they say all the right things that they want to do that, but here we are, you know, still lacking the ability to truly pass up front consistently for what going on, what three years? Yeah. 2019 was the last year that it was doable. It, it was even tough then. And in 2018, look, 2018 was a perfect storm of a new arrow kit plus really, really hot temperatures. Yeah. It was a follow the leader race. 2019 was a lot better. And then you have 2020, which you get a pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, yeah. I mean, True. It's so tough and you know the, the track is so fickle and all that. I understand that. But if we're going to put all of IndyCar's eggs in one basket, it needs to be the Indianapolis 500. And I just don't think the series is doing enough to make sure that that race is as entertaining as it possibly can be. Yeah, you have to make it easier to pass. Now, we're not calling for 2012 to 2014 levels of passing, mind you. Or cart Michigan Hanford device late 90s <laughs> early 2000s yeah it's just this is the this is the impact that Indianapolis has on prospective viewers that's that's what it is you know better for worse the most eyes you have on your product is going to be over Memorial Day weekend and if you don't maximize that opportunity you're going to see the impact then throughout the rest of the season in my opinion all right Time now for our preview of this weekend's Bomberito Automotive Group 500, the racetrack formerly known as Gateway. Just a Friday-Saturday event this weekend, Friday schedule. The first IndyCar practice, 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern in the afternoon. Again, across all the regular channels, Peacock, IndyCar Live for International, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio. Then you have qualifying 4.15 to 5.15 Eastern on Friday. Then there's a final practice on Friday night, 7 to 8.45. 
And also, as part of what's happening this weekend, several drivers are taking part, kind of like what they did at Texas. It'll be a 30-minute session on Friday from 6 to 6.30 Central, so that's 7 to 7.30 Eastern, to try to create a second lane. It'll be Rossi, Rosenquist, Dixon, Sato, Daly, Eilat, Pagano, Harvey, and Power. They'll run on the high groove, one extra set of tires before the final practice, so that'll happen before that final practice. Who's missing? Well, the Foyt team. <laughs> Do we think that'll work, the high line practice? Uh, it's worth a shot. I don't know if it'll work. I mean, could it at least give us uh, one and a half lanes, potentially? That's all they need. Yeah. That'll make the racing a lot better. Not that the racing is terrible, but it is tough to pass a gateway. Yeah. And then the race coverage, 6 to 9 Eastern, again on USA, also on Peacock, IndyCar Live, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio. Taking a look at the uh, green flag time is expected at 6.30 Eastern on Saturday night. All right. Three key stats that you need to know. This from Chad 200 on Twitter. Newgarden, three wins and six starts, 406 laps led. Huh. It's like a short oval. Go yeah. figure. Where Penske dominates, right? Rossi, Pelot, Ray Hall, and Carpenter combined. 21 starts, four top tens, four laps led, 15.3 average finish. So Rossi, Pelot, Ray Hall, and Carpenter. Uh, now, Rossi's had, I think, a top two or three back in 2018. Ed Carpenter obviously finished second in that thrilling finish in 2019, but not their kind of track. Pato Award, though, third, second, second, and three starts, 131 laps led. So that's a name to keep in mind. As far as the crowd, what do we John Bomarino says they expect the largest crowd since 2017, which, which would be great. Would be awesome. I will believe it when I see it. Yes, we shall see. All right, race pick time. I mean, do we go against Joseph Newgarden, who's won the last two races there? Well, also, do we go against Chevy? I think that's the yeah. other thing. I mean, Joseph Newgarden, winner of the last two. Scott Dixon won the first race in 2020 and won in 2019 as well, right? Uh, 2019 was no, Sato. Started, yeah, Sato, but Newgarden started on pole in that race. So uh, I'm going to go, man, I just... Newgarden just seems like easy pickings. So I think you've picked him like five races in a row, nearly. Well, no, no, we both I picked Herta for Nashville. Yeah, right? yeah, and I picked Dixon before that. So it has been a minute since I picked Newgarden. <laughs> Jerk. I am gonna go. <laughs> I'll go Pato Award. Oh, really? I'm I'm also picking Pato Award. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, so for purposes of so hopefully somebody gets a win. I will go Joseph Newgarden. You will go Pato Award. All right. Sounds good. Okay. All right. All that said, we'll see how it plays out. I would not expect much. A couple of livery changes and things to be aware of for this weekend's race. Marcus Erickson in the Bryant car. Alex Blow, the American Legion car. Scott McLaughlin will have Odyssey Battery, which he won at Mid-Ohio with that, so keep keep that in mind. Kyle Kirkwood will have Bomberito Automotive Group. We mentioned that last week. Grim Rahal will have iPacket. Ooh. It's a green car, kind of cool looking. Look, nice um, announcement this week from Graham Ray yes, Hall for yes. Zionsville. Speaking of that, yeah, he his Graham Ray Hall performance, Ray Hall Ducati and Ray Hall Paint Pro in the Graham and Courtney Ray Hall Foundation are all moving to Zionsville. They have lane across from where they're building the new uh, Ray Hall Letterman Lane again race shop, one hundred fifteen thousand square foot building. 
uh, for all their companies. That's really, really cool. Not bad, huh? Big announcement. And, and look, Hy-Vee also proposed to go in Zionsville. Which, yeah, so. which is going to Zionsville, which will be, correct me if I'm wrong, the first Hy-Vee in Indiana? Yes. Okay. If, if that goes through. I've not seen you know anything saying, well, construction started. There's another one proposed for the Fishers area as well, as far as Hy-Vee. Gotcha. So we'll see how that plays out. Other uh, liveries to keep in mind, Lungard will be in the MyJack car. Ed Carpenter will be participating this week in the Alzamond car. And Romain Grosjean's uh, livery, as far as Thursday night, as we're recording, not listed. So that will be interesting. It's just a black car. Rossi gets to paint the car and put whatever <laughs> he wants on it. <laughs> sure, that will go quite well. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. You know, the short ovals are usually pretty fun. You know, Iowa was great. Hopefully the line comes in at least the half line to, to get some sort of you know, high line going, even if it's not a true lane under the lights, pseudo, I guess, you know, the race is starting pretty early. It's like what? Five thirty central time. Correct. So we may not have, it was like those Iowa races, you know, that started at quote unquote dusk and it was never truly dark until like the last 30 laps. We may not have any true under the lights, uh, laps. So if I'm setting up my car, I'm not worried about the night. I'm worried about what, what's working in the late afternoon. So, uh, I'm excited Saturday night under the semi lights at uh, <laughs> gateway and dusk under, lights under dusk, under dusk, so to speak. And I really think this is a, an event that we're going to eliminate another couple contenders. I, I would not be surprised, Caleb, if we're talking next week at this time, Dixon power, New Garden as the three front runners, one through three in the points race. Yeah, I, I think we get down to three regardless. Erickson really struggled on street circuits this year. He's excelled on ovals, obviously winning the Indy 500, but he also was third at Texas and had two top tens at Iowa. So it's something to keep in mind. We'll see. I mean, it's put up or shut up right now, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, if you agree or disagree with our race picks or anything else, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at newtrackrecordpodcast.com while you're there. Sign up for the email list so you never miss any special announcements or episodes. Also, check out the store. We have t-shirts and stickers for sale for you. You can follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle, IndyCar Podcast. Instagram, it is IndyCar Podcast as well. On Facebook, just search for New Track Record and like our page. You can also email us, Podcast at gmail.com and you can support us by being a patron patreon.com slash new track record thanks to xavier rob and others who are supporting us we have a uh, supporter tiers for as little as one dollar per month and as always you can find us and follow us for free on your favorite podcasting platform whether that is apple podcasts spotify google podcasts amazon music podbean or many other podcasting platforms all for free. Okay, Justin, time for the mailbag. A few things to get to this week. All Obviously right. quieter because, well, no race recap to get to. First but, time in a long while we've not had a race re- recap, right? Yes. Yeah, it is. it has been a bit, but still some interesting things, as always, to discuss. Uh, first off, Vicky Lynn 26 says, laughed out loud when Justin said strategery. That's Marshall Pruitt's word. 
<laughs> hey, you can say strategery. Actually, that's George. Uh, is it George H.W. Bush's word from S- so. Saturday Night Live? Yeah. Yep. And then you you posted this, and I think we're in full agreement talking about Nashville. How about changes to how the drivers drive the Nashville street course, as opposed to uh, this quote tweeting a, a racer article? IndyCar says more time needed to assess potential changes to Nashville's street course and. Uh, DC Soto just said, I, I, uh, said a, a gif. Why don't we have both? Eh, that's fair. I can't really disagree with that. And I will be fair to Marshall Pruitt. He did write a story that was asking potentially, you know, changes. And then also wrote a story about driver errors or yes. driver etiquette as well. So both sides of I'm on the clean up the driver etiquette side. There's a lot of people that are on the change the circuit side. Yes. Pochevchenko says IndyCar fans, myself included, like to make jokes about F1 and their problems with track limits. This is turning into a stone thrown in a glass house. Yeah. Yeah. You you have to race on the circuit. It's ahead of you. In, in fact, you brought up Marshall Pruitt and, and you replied, and I thought this was thought out, essentially saying if the drivers can adjust their style as far as what the track is giving them at, say, IMS, why can't they do the same at Nashville? And a lot of good discussion on this. First off, Marshall himself said there's one track on the schedule since 2021 that has produced racing that's in total opposition to all the other events. So that's not something to ignore. Can you name a professional sport where athletes all agree to play softer and nicer? I can't and isn't in their nature. It's fair. Yeah, it's fair. I just don't think that's a reason to change a track. Yeah. I, In my opinion. I agree. Poet Shevchenko says we do see it at other tracks, specifically when the whole field is on top of each other. On restarts, almost every restart at Nashville is like that this year. Yeah, the restarts were... Slow? Yeah, slow and just... But the restart thing... Inconsistent. That's been a problem all season. Yeah, well, it goes across ovals to... It's across all gamuts. Like, we brought it up on the podcast before, Caleb. It's it's this elephant in the room that IndyCar just refuses to address. And we see it from starts on short ovals or ovals whatsoever to road courses, to street courses. It's just this non-standardized starts and restarts process that, you know, is just chaos. And until IndyCar comes down and says, affirm, this is how it's going to be everywhere we go or every street and every road and every oval, you're still going to have issues. Other responses on this, Tyler underscore Allen, driving Nashville is akin to NASCAR on a short track, especially. You have to take chances and elbows out which turns into sloppiness and lots of contact and i love it yeah it's and then continuing on with this i mean look this was not limited to just a couple of responses um marshall then goes on to say the metrics for such things would come in the form of increased tv ratings and increased ticket sales but i haven't heard of either being on a rise last weekend if that's what people want we'll see pack stands and viewing areas next year the big nielsen number that that is as opposed to changing a track you have to you essentially said what did the attendees have to say that's the barometer yeah for this yeah absolutely and, that was, and that we was, don't have the nbc number so we, we, don't, yeah, we don't we don't know. have a comparison and you know and it was tough to judge the stand or the attendance because of the rain so my thing would be look if you took an exit poll for everybody leaving the event and 75 percent were happy with the race 
then I'm not changing anything. If 75% were unhappy with the race, then I'm open to changing something. But those should be the direct metrics, right? For was the race entertaining or not? Oh, and usually that comes in the form of some sort of survey via social media or email to ticket holders from the promoter themselves as far as what you thought. Well, we had the highly scientific poll of if the course was but or not but. Yes, so that is true. We will step up and send those results to IndyCar if indeed they need that info. <laughs> I'm sure they're <laughs> looking for that highly scientific data yes. that we have collected yes, with very accurate sample sizes. <laughs> Transocean Trojan continuing on the topic. To back up my NTR boys in... It says PL, I assume Premier League football. Yes. Uh, not all pitches are the same size. Yes, that's what he's referencing. It makes you change the way your team plays. Even in the Olympics, Team USA was getting beat in basketball until they adjusted to the international rules. I agree it's on the athletes to adapt. Yeah, that's a great example. So FIBA rules are different from NBA rules when you're talking basketball. Yeah. And the U.S. has struggled to adapt as the European and just worldwide basketball has gotten so much better since the what mid nineties when it was a given that the U S would win gold 92, 96, right. Even 2000, but then 2004, they won bronze. It was a viewed as a disaster for USA men's basketball. They come back, win gold and they've kind of righted the ship, but you can't just put together a bunch of all-stars on a team. You have to have a good fit and you also have to adapt to the rules, which are different from the NBA. Well, and you look at hockey, particularly in the minor leagues, different ranks are different sizes. You know, NHL is is pretty standard, but you have the bigger, larger international ice that you see in the World Championships and the Olympics that can really open things up a little bit more than the NHL. So, much like you know FIBA in the Premier or the you know basketball in the Premier League. There's different sizes, so there's different aspects of different playing services, and the athletes need to adjust. Why can't they do it in racing? And we'll see if if <laughs> we'll see if it plays out that way. I, I don't know. I'd be we'll surprised. see. I, I'm fine with going with whatever the majority want, but my concern is the majority of people aren't for changing the circuit. If somebody can present me with info that says different, then I'm fine with it. I just I feel like it's, you know, a vocal group that's that has a lot of, you know, a lot of viewers or a lot of listeners or a lot of readers that is pushing for this. Also, let's remember you had a close finish. That's the last thing that fans remember about that race was, yeah. oh, that was a close finish on a street circuit. Right. That's and, a selling point. And, you know, you know, I, I don't know if it was Marshall Pruitt or, or whoever put out the total cost of the damage. And you have made a good point is I'm not going to the track designers for that. I'm going to talk to my drivers for costing me that much money, right? Yeah. I mean, any other track, everyone would would be like, well, you know, look at Colton Herta, for example, his crash carb day. I mean, that ruined his Indy 500 before it started. For example, we would focus on that. Is that the track's fault? No, it's not the track's fault. Exactly. I mean, yes, if you're an innocent bystander or an innocent victim, but that happens every event, right? It happens. But if you put yourself in the wall or you caused an incident that cost your team money in terms of repairs, that's on you, not the track. One final uh, tweet and thought on this. Seiko Say says, 
The NFL is constantly adjusting rules that I am sure some would argue make the sport softer. The players adapt. That is spot on. Yes. You, well, you change who can hit who. You can't even touch where, the quarterback now, yeah. it seems like, right? You, you, you've you changed. Look, just in the last, uh, we'll call it 18 years, because specifically the 2003, uh, or excuse me, 2004 AFC Championship game, yeah, Patriots, Colts, rule, yeah. you... Well, no, this is later. This is ah. where you have the, the Colts complaining about the Patriots defensive backs holding yeah. all game. Right. And so they change kind of rules on that. And then you, you already mentioned the tuck rule. You have changing on what defensive backs can get away with. Then you added all of the roughing the passer penalties. Right. That were never really seen before. They've been very strict with how they enforce and I mean, now where you, quarterbacks can be hit. Yeah, and where they can be tackled, targeting, how hard you can take them to the ground, even. Targeting I mean, being everywhere. Yeah. So all of this is, is basically, A, to protect the player, but in my opinion, the NFL more to help the entertainment factor. And right? Protect, they want offense, offense, offense. Protect the quarterback. Who Which is, then helps the offense, right? Yeah. No, we don't... The NFL doesn't want week 13 and on being a bunch of backup quarterbacks all over the league, right? They want QB1 slinging it all over, high-scoring games and excitement. Entertainment. So if we're looking then at IndyCar, right, what is best for entertainment? Is it what we saw at Nashville? I think so. Caleb, you think so. Are we in the majority? I'm not really sure. But if we are, then don't touch a thing. Now, does that work if it's every single race like that? Absolutely not. Does no. it work if you have one, two, maybe a max of three races like that a year? Yes, I think it does. You know, look at an look at NASCAR, short tracks in particular. You know what? Drivers and teams know when they go to the bull ring at Bristol, it's going to be a different kind of racing. There's going to be a lot of beating and banging. You're going to come home and you know the 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 winning car may have you know, Teflon tape all over the thing because of all the the sheet metal and damage you're going to take. But you know what? That's not every week, right? But those short tracks, Bristol a couple times a year, Martinsville, Richmond, you're going to race them different. Darlington. Darling, I mean, so it just goes with the territory. I just don't understand this whole infatuation with catering to drivers and teams and making things as easy as possible or adjusting to their driving style because they can't handle it. They're professional race car drivers. They should be able to adjust to what the circuit is. End of rant. <laughs> One final thought on... All of this from Hunter's Way 67 is just essentially, I agree with you guys. Good stuff on the episode. I agree with you guys regarding Nashville. It's it's on the drivers, not the track. Who knows if we're in the majority or not, but that's, we're firmly both in that camp. We are entrenched. Entrenched. In that camp. And we'll, we'll see. He says the track is fine, just need better judgment from the drivers. Yep, fully agree. Yep. Fully, fully And I think, agree. and honestly, there's been more discussion in meetings about that topic with teams and drivers than there has been with the series trying to make adjustments to the track, in my opinion. And we got an email, this is from Brandon, emailing us. Again, the email address, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. This is on future scheduling. Hey guys, love the podcast. So sponsorship and ownership conflicts aside, NASCAR and Michelin, what changes do you think would need to be made to road Atlanta to make it compatible for IndyCars to safely race there? I'd love a Southern race is on the East coast since Richmond is probably never coming back unless you've heard otherwise. 
Nashville, Mid-Ohio, Barber, St. Pete, and Gateway. Mighty far for IndyCar fans on the Mid-Atlantic states and the Middle South to make those trips. I mean, everything um, that I've read and heard is basically runoff. Yes. And just improved safety. Safety, I don't know, whether it's fencing, barriers, all the above. There would be some serious upgrades needed to be had at Road Atlanta from everything it, It's read. the same thing that I've heard regarding uh, most sport in, in Canada as far yeah. as people saying, well, why don't we go there as opposed to racing in the streets of Toronto? And it's again, it's the right. runoff. You need somebody... W- Willing to invest that much money yeah. in those upgrades. Which, unfortunately, it's probably not going to happen. Not anytime soon, from what we've heard. But, I, I, I mean, all indications are it's a great course, but it just needs some serious upgrades to be safe for IndyCar. Yes. All right, that wraps up the mailbag. As always, you can tweet us, Facebook message us, Instagram DM, email, snail mail, whatever. Whatever Send is inclined way. for you to reach out to us. News and notes, a short category this week, but some really interesting stuff. Okay. I think we'll promote some, some good discussion. So first, this from Crash Gladys. That was a bit of a bomb drop. Kenny Sargent laying it out there that after next year, Texas Motor Speedway is set to blow up, reconfigure to help make the product better. Then he added that IndyCar may or may not be a part of that picture moving forward too. Wait, what? That tweet uh, coming down a few days ago earlier this week. Now, Kenny Sargent is the new president of TMS, is that? No, no, co-host for Kenny and Crash, Speed Freaks, the the. So we have show. no confirmation from TMS that that's the thing? I have not seen anything regarding that as far as from TMS themselves. Yeah. I mean, but until I've that seen it happens, reported in the really. media. I mean, what would they, you know, we heard that was going to happen with Auto Club Speedway and then the pandemic put the kibosh on that, making it into some sort of pseudo short track. But it's a big track at Texas. What would they possibly, I mean, it's already got high banking. Sorry, so what would they possibly think to do to that track to make it unique? I don't know. I don't know. But what is interesting is that there's another uh, GM at Texas Motor Speedway. This was announced late last oh, really? week. Yeah, so Eddie Gossage obviously retired last year. Then they had Rob Ramage. He uh, was promoted from track G- GM to senior vice president for Speedway Motorsports. So Mark Faber is now the GM of Texas Motor Speedway. So could that factor into what is happening here? Uh, Faber... It was a senior VP of global global partnerships at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Spent his last 17 years with AEG, which, which is, is a, a huge sports entertainment company. The fact that he was in Vegas, you, you know, kind of thinking outside the box in terms of entertainment because they don't have a you know NBA franchise or anything there. So you do have NFL. You now do have NHL. So. You know, was he a part of maybe you know luring the 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 Golden Knights potentially? Who knows? But being in Vegas, you're encouraged to think outside the box, right? And potentially maybe that's what he's doing with Texas Motor Speedway. He does have motorsports experience. He worked with Gallus Indy Racing back in the day. Really? He also is consultant on sponsorships and premium seating renovations for Daytona International Speedway and Phoenix Raceway. That would be interesting to see what these potential renovations could be. Whatever they are, though, I think IndyCar is on borrowed time at Texas. Yes, I think if... 
they run next year, which we think they will, right? Uh, up until this whole thing came down, we thought, yeah, yeah they'll I, be back and that will be it. But this is something to keep an eye on. Until there's a press release from TMS and going into detail on what's exactly going to happen, I'm not 100% sold on it. And then the other note to get to, this is awesome. RM Sotheby's, right? Is that how you say it? Sotheby's? Sotheby's? Yes. yes. The auction house. Uh-huh. So they have the house that Newman Haas Racing built. And so a lot of cars. In fact, over 40 cars in Haas memorabilia. Are uh, they Now they're selling them individually, correct? It's yes. not a set. So conceivably, we could buy a car <laughs> with our Patreon yeah. donations. <laughs> Yeah, with all all of our podcast money. Is there a minimum bid? Because hopefully one goes for a couple of dollars. That's what we're hoping for. Yeah, 29th of October is when this starts. So uh, 40 cars. I mean, th- these are iconic cars. Like you have the Bourdais McDonald's cars. You have Nigel Mansell, Mario Andretti, the Kmart Havlin, Michael Andretti, those, all those type of cars. Uh, you have... Some ones that Mario Andretti drove in the the 80s. I mean, this is like the cream of the crop, plus some some road cars as well. A a Jaguar is part of this collection. Uh, Part of it. Cristiano D'Amata. I mean, all this stuff. A a Ford Fusion NASCAR from 2007. A motorcycle. An MGTC from 1948. Man. You have an engine withstand from Toyota Motorsports. You have a bunch of kind of like die cast type size things with displays. You have their cart and champ car trophies 2002, 2004, 5, 6 and 7. Mario Andretti race worn suit. In fact, uh, Michael Andretti race worn suit. Nigel Mansell worn helmet. Mario Andretti a couple more race worn suits and race worn helmets. Gloves as well. And their owner's cup for 91 uh, champion. So that would have been Michael Andretti. Also 93 with Nigel Mansell. 84 with Mario Andretti. Cristiano D'Amata and Sebastian Bourdais. Christian Fittipaldi. Race-worn helmets as well were signed. I mean, some prints as well. Just a lot of awesome, awesome stuff. Pretty wild. I mean, if you had to put a number on how much... If it sold as a collection. Oh. I mean, what do you think? Five million? Really? That I, I was thinking like ten, 10? million. Yeah, I, I don't know. Five I don't to even 10? know. I mean, the did you browse this collection? I did. It isn't just like incredible, it, like the stuff that they have. It's it's wild. It makes me wonder, really, like how much it would be all together. Because I think if you pencil it out, you know, a lot of that, you know, some of those cars are going to go for, you know, half a million, maybe. Yeah. Oh, legitimately. Themselves? So, I could see some, for example, like a, 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 a Mario Mansell car or Nigel Mario? Mansell yeah. going for close to a million. I'll be fascinated to see how much it may, maybe Maybe it's closer to 15 million. I don't even know. So the 94 Lola Ford Cosworth T9400, I mean, that, that would have been driven by, yeah, Mario Andretti. So. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, in, pretty crazy. Pretty intense. That is. That is one of the cars up for auction. So really cool. Check it out if you have not done so. I mean, 
I've looked through this and I thought, okay, obviously I'm not going to be able to afford. You're putting stuff in your cart like an Amazon. Okay, yeah, we're going to (laughs) put. We're going to do that one. Yeah, we're going to bid on that one. But I may try to go after like a helmet or gloves or a race suit. You know that kind of thing. Sure, it's at least attainable. I would. I would hope. Put it on the wedding registry. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure that will go over well. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. All right, so that's a look at news and notes. Do you have anything else to add? I don't think so. I think it was a a reasonably quiet week, but I think you know, going into a race weekend and coming out of it, we'll have more to talk about. Absolutely. All right, tweets of the week time. First off, this from Dalton Kellett. So Adam Stern tweeting out that MGM Resorts planning to buy twenty to twenty-five million dollars worth of F1 Las Vegas tickets from F1 to create hotel and event packages for next year's race. Uh, rooms may cost three times their usual rate and packages could retail for up to $100,000. You said to me, start saving up. Yes. And Dalton Kellett said, dear F1 fans with the fancy black credit cards for 100 K, you can hang out on the timing stand all weekend, spray the water bottle at my car during the pit stops. And I'll put your face on the engine cover and your buddies can come. Just saying. <laughs> the thing is people will pay it. Oh, absolutely. You know, we, we, we scoff at the amount of money that, F1 charges for various things, but people pay it. It's the sport to see and be seen, right? Yes. I think that's what it's all about. And then Connor Daly, as he's sitting in an orange uh, McLaren, sorry, papaya orange McLaren uh, road car, a picture just saying, I do not have any announcements to make. I'm on vacation, LOL. (laughs) Just put it out there. Yeah. Just... Seeing, seeing what can become of it. The McLaren deal, the gift that just keeps on giving, right? Yes. But you got to be creative with your McLaren jokes moving forward. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's the, getting The same old isn't going to get it done, right? Yeah. You, you got to be creative. You got to yes. be unique and organic with your content. Yes. As they say. The, the, this person has been offered by McLaren jokes. Not going to cut it anymore. Not going to cut it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be more original. Yes. Most definitely. Okay. Time for our favorite segment, the random split era driver of the week so i've been saying 2005 cart season treasure trove right so we're going back to the well that is that season and we're going with fabrizio del monte who from cte racing and hvm and you of course know cte racing stands for no cedric the entertainer no way yes i forgot about that me too and he was his car was actually cte racing sponsored in terms of the livery but fabrizio del monte just did a single race in the 2005 cart season he drove for three seasons in european formula 3000 he drove in three champ car events excuse me and i believe was with jensen motorsport in 2005 he was 16th at long beach and then for hvm racing late in the season he did surfers paradise was 16th didn't qualify for Mexico City, so just two races. Um, but looking at it, he was supposed to do in Midlands 2006 San Marino Grand Prix, which is Formula One. Midlands F1, yeah. Was actually going to be their third driver, fell through due to the lack of sponsorship. His place was taken by Giorgio Mondini, and Del Monte was also to be the team's third driver at the Hungarian Grand Prix, but didn't happen. So I'm looking at CTE Racing HBM's driver lineup. This is for 2005, right? Oh, it's amazing. 
I looked through this list and the only driver I've heard of is Rodolfo Lavin. And I think that's only because he's been brought up he's before been brought up on the random splitter. Yeah. Of the week. Yeah. This, Everyone else I've never heard of in my life. Okay. So there were six drivers that drove for CTE HVM racing that year, that year we've talked about Rodolfo Lavin. We're now talking about Fabrizio Del Monte. The other four will be random split era drivers <laughs> of the week because yes. we've never heard of them. I have never heard of a single one besides amazing Rodolfo Lavin. race team. I mean, you have some, you have recognizable names, 2005 champ car season, Bourdais, Bruno Ginkara, Servia, PT, Mario Dominguez, uh, Will Power, Alex Tagliani, Timo Glock, Ryan hunter Ray, Michael McDowell. But then some absolute no names. Justin Wilson, Almondinger, um, Tarso Marquez, Jimmy Vassar, Cristiano Damana, Andrew Ranger. There's a, there's a name, Nelson Philippe. But yeah, Fabrizio Del Monte, like you said, he ran that one race for Jensen Motorsport. 16th at Long Beach, 16th at Surfer's Paradise. That was it for 2005. Was born in 1980 in Latina Lazio, which is a province in Italy. And sniffed an F1 seat for a couple races, but never did appear in a Grand Prix is now 41 years old. Still with us, Mr. Fabrizio Del Monte, this week's random split era driver of the week and uh, CTE racing. Yep. Completely forgot about that. Cedric, the entertainer racing. Wow. That is just a blast from the past. I totally forgot that Cedric, the entertainer. It's always interesting to think about the celebrities that have been involved in IndyCar, Kart, Champ Car, whatever you want to call it over yep. the years. I mean, Carmelo Anthony had his yep. team. Was that 2006 in, in yeah. IRL? You had Walter uh, Payton was in there uh, with Coin for a while. Coin. Uh, Jim Harbaugh was a co-owner of Panther for a bit. That's right. He was. And Cedric the Entertainer, we mentioned. Obviously, Paul Newman with Newman yeah. Haas. That's, I mean, a, that's, that's, a, a that's an easy one for sure. But just some of the names that have been involved. I feel like we're forgetting another really notable Big one. one I think either football. Oh, Joe Montana. Wasn't he tied with Patrick racing or Ganassi? Was he? Yeah. I didn't know that one. Huh? Yeah. It's amazing. You know, now we're seeing some of these celebrities dabbling into NASCAR, of course, uh, with Michael Jordan and, and all that. So it, it makes sense when you're the premier North American racing series as cart was back in the day, you're going to have some of these guys dabble in it. Now it's NASCAR. So you're seeing those same type of people dabbling on that side. Yeah. Montana bought into chip Ganassi racing. This was all the way back April of 1995. The article. Well, unfortunately, uh, things did not get, get better after that. <laughs> But uh, they they had Brian Herta and Jimmy Vassar at that time, and then Walter Payton became a partner with uh, Payton Coin over the winter of that year. So obviously yeah. we have Joe Gibbs who has been involved in, in NASCAR. For I mean some he's time. he's been around for for NASCAR so long that people forget or don't know that he was a Super Bowl winning NFL football coach. Yeah, and wouldn't know he was an NFL coach at all if not for his like return stint, right? In the, yeah, like two thousands. Yeah, but it's like you know he's so far removed from it. You think Joe Gibbs, you think NASCAR, but for the longest time you thought Joe Gibbs, you thought him on the sidelines in the NFL. 
All right. Well, for Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. We'll be back next week to recap the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 from the racetrack formerly known as Gateway. Thanks for joining us on another episode of New Track Record Podcast. Podcast by Federated Media.